daf is Ein Gimel in, uh, in uh, Masechet Pesachim. We are on Ein Bet, Amud Bet. We are 14 lines from the bottom of the Amud where it says, Rabbi Yochanan Keman. This is talking about what we mentioned yesterday. The Rabbi Yochanan made a distinction between somebody who uh, has relations with his wife who is in Nida and somebody who has relations with a Yevama, meaning he's consummating the marriage with the Yevama. Uh, which is fulfilling the mitzvah boom, and therefore we we said that uh, he's not going to be liable for that violation because he was doing a mitzvah at the time, whereas that wouldn't apply to the case of his wife. Now the Gemara is going to ask, Rabbi Yochanan Keman, what is Rabbi Yochanan's basis for making this distinction and for saying that the person who has relations with the Yivama when she's in Nidat does not, is not held accountable for that? Maybe you'll say it's like Rabbi Yossi, it's not as it says in the Mishnah. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Yom Tov HaRishon Shel Chag Shechaliyot BeShabbat. If the first day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbat, so obviously uh, a person is not, the, the issue, nowadays we don't shake the Lulav on Shabbat because of the concern that a person will bring it into Rishut HaRabim and carry it. So what if he does do that? Votzit HaLulav Rishut HaRabim, Patur so it says he's, he's exempt because he took it out birushut with permission. Now, obviously, it doesn't actually mean he has permission. He's not supposed to be carrying the lulav in the street on um, on uh, on Shabbat. However, uh, he since there's a mitzvah involved, we give the person the uh, you know the leniency that we don't hold them accountable for the chilul Shabbat. They don't have to bring korban chatat. So maybe that is the reasoning of Rabbi Yochanan as well that he's saying that if the person has relations with his wife, I'm sorry, with the yivama who is a nida, he's not held accountable for that because he's doing a mitzvah there. So now it says, no, that could be different because maybe over there it's different because since it's, he has a, a time constraint, he, has, he wants to do the mitzvah, maybe he doesn't know how to do the mitzvah properly. Rashi says, because the issue was, or Lilamdo rather, because the issue was that he wanted to, uh, the concern that the person would carry the lulav was that he would bring it to someone to show him how to do the process of shaking the lulav properly. Not really technically, you could just pick up the lulav and you fulfill the mitzvah, but he was, but the concern is that a person will carry it somewhere else in order to have somebody show them how to do it. If we just all did it in the house, it wouldn't be such an issue to do the, take the lulav on, on Shabbat, but the concern is that a person will carry it. So here he feels, uh, pressured, so he has to go and find someone to help him do the uh, mitzvah of the lulav and he'll end up carrying it as opposed to the case of the yivama he could just wait until after nidah is over to uh, fulfill the mitzvah so that can't be the basis of Rabbi Yochanan maybe Rabbi Yochanan learned this from the halacha of Rabbi Yoshua with korbanot that he said that if a person uh, brings a korban l'shem pesach which is not actually l'shem pesach since it ends up avad being kasher as a korban and acceptable as a korban even though it was done in violation of Shabbat and even though it doesn't fulfill the mitzvah actually of korban pesach but it, it, it's a, a, a korban kasher. So therefore, we would say that he was involved in a mitzvah, and uh, and he's <clears throat> and he is uh, since he he accomplished a mitzvah and he made a mistake about a mitzvah. Therefore, we say that he is not liable. And here too, since the person made a mistake, he had relations with the Yevama when she was in Nida, but he did the mitzvah yibum. So therefore, we should give him a break. But it says no That's also not comparable because the korban pesach is something where there is pressure, so that we give the person a benefit of the doubt or a little bit of uh, leniency because he's under pressure with the time constraints and the stress of of doing korban pesach that he made a mistake. But that doesn't apply to the Yevama. So maybe therefore the source of Rabbi Yochanan is the case of the. Person, the mohel who mixes up the 
babies and circumcises the incorrect one on Shabbat. But there too, hatam's namizma no ba'ul. Therefore, there also you have the concern of a time constraint that a person, the reason why the moel made a mistake is because he's under pressure of time. The brit nila has to be done that day and he doesn't have much leeway with that. And therefore he made a mistake and that's why we're lenient. But when it comes to the Yivamah, we don't have such an argument. It must be that Rabbi Yochanan is basing himself on another position of Rabbi Yoshua, but not the one related to the babies and not the one related to the Korban, uh, korban Pesach, but the one related to Trumah. It says in the Mishnah, a person was eating Trumah, all of a sudden they come and say, you know what? We just investigated your lineage. You are Ben Gushao Ben Chalutzah, meaning your mother was a divorced woman um, or a woman who received Chalitzah from a prior husband and therefore or from a prior husband's brother, I should say, and therefore, uh, uh, and therefore you are not really a Kohen Kasher, you are a Kohen Halal. And since you're a Kohen Halal, not a Kohen Kasher, you're not really allowed to eat Shuma, but the person's eating it already. So what happens then? So it says, in that case... Uh, we say Rabbi Eliezer mechayev keren v'chomesh. Rabbi Eliezer says, "Listen, since the fact is that he ate this beisur, he ate this in violation of the rules of truma, because a non kohen is not allowed to eat truma, and now he's partaken of the truma, he has to pay back the value of that truma, and also chomesh also has to pay the surcharge, which is actually a twenty five percent surcharge. It's called one fifth because the fi- in the final number that you produce, it ends up being one fifth. But really, it's a twenty five percent surcharge on the truma that he illegally ate." Rabbi Yoshua poter. Rabbi Yoshua says, "No." that uh, we're not going to hold him liable for that. And of course, the question is going to be why, right? Because uh, since this person is not a Kohen and he, uh, and he uh, ate Truma, really, he should be liable. But since he was doing, he was intending to do a mitzvah, and we're going to see Rabbi Yoshua will say that bidiyavad, maybe his, what he does is acceptable. Um, he doesn't have to pay it back. She says simply, he made a mistake about a mitzvah, so we give him a break. Maybe this is like Maybe Rabbi Yoshua was talking only in a case where there was a pressure on him to eat the truma. In other words, he didn't have time to fully investigate and fully listen and find out if there was any, were, were any clarifications of his lineage because he was in a rush to finish all the truma that was chametz because it was Erev Pesach. Maybe that's the only reason. But in a normal case, if he simply was, had no pressure on him at all and he wanted to eat truma without investigating what the, re, what the results were of the research into his lineage, he would, be, uh, he would be liable for that. So therefore, inami, alternatively, it could be the chanei truma, dekrei avodah. Truma is different because it's called avodah. Va'avodah achshar. And when it comes to avodah done by a halal, by a kohen who is discovered to have been of tainted lineage in some way, the avodah is accepted. It's now we learned in the Mishnah, haya omiru makiv ben gushau ben Lutzaf, a Kohen is in the middle of bringing korbanot and finds out that his mother was divor- a divorced woman and he's not really a Kohen kasher. Everything that he already offered on the Mizbech is now pasul and has to be redone. Rabbi Yoshua is lenient and says, no, we accept it. And we said, what's the reasoning of blesses the... Um, the Levi'im uh, and really the Kohanim that whatever they do should be accepted and, and therefore whatever should be accepted even if the Kohen is not a pure Kohen if he's a, a, a defe- his lineage is defective still um, his avodah will be accepted after the fact it will be accepted and so therefore we could also say with regard to the Truma that the reason why Rabbi Yochanan is uh, the reason why Rabbi Yoshua here is saying that the um, that the, truma, the the kohen does not have to pay the kohen halal does not have to pay back for the truma that he ate could be 
because uh, because what he did is after the is considered to be accepted and considered to be valid, right? Because it's considered an avod, it's considered uh, an avodah v'truma avodah. And how do we know that truma is also called an avodah? There was a situation where Rabbi Tarfon did not show up in the evening for the Beit Midrash. found him in the morning and Midrash. Why didn't you come yesterday? He asked him, and Amalo avodah avati. He said I was doing avodah. Okay, so he said to him, Amalo, what are you talking about? Everything you're saying is crazy. Where, since when did we have avodah of the Beit Hamikdash? They didn't have the Beit Hamikdash in that time. So since when did you have avodah of the Beit Hamikdash? Amalo, avodat matana It says I'm going to give you the the avodat matana. Uh, the the work or the service of a gift, and this is a, re- a, a reference to. Uh, she says, "Matnot keona." The gifts given to the kohen are considered like an avodah. That the avodat matnatenet kunatchem veazar kovimat, and anybody who is not a kohen who comes close to it will die. Asu achilat truma bekvulid keavodat bet hamikdash. They compared the uh, eating of truma to the service in the Beit HaMikdash. So just like the, uh, uh, because Avodat Matanah, it's called Avodat Matanah, the service of a gift, because the, the Kohanim receive gifts, so it's considered to be an Avodat to eat the Truma. And therefore, since it is accepted, B'diavad, that he fulfilled this mitzvah of Achilat Truma, that is why uh, Rabbi Yoshua is lenient. And perhaps that is also why, uh, that could also be why, the um, that could fit with Rabbi Yochanan's view because the fact is that Rabbi Yochanan is saying that since in the end of the, at the end of the day the relations with the Vama fulfilled the mitzvah of Yibum, even though it wasn't done hundred percent correctly it would be uh, it, it, it's considered enough to get him off the hook for having violated Nida and we wouldn't have to bring a korban chatat for the violation of Nida but in any case the Gemara moves on from that issue of Rabbi Yochanan to a different issue which is that if a person slaughters a korban pesach on Erev Pesach that fell on Shabbat and he didn't do it uh, he did it for the sake of people a list of people none of whom could eat a kazayit they were sick or elderly and they weren't able to eat it so it's considered uh, not only is it a, a korban pasul but also uh, it is a violation of Shabbat so Gemara asks Pshita, kevan pasul so s- since it's going to be uh, a pasul because it's slaughtered for people who cannot eat it so obviously it's going to be liable for violating Shabbat but since at the end it says patur then if he slaughters it for people for a mix of people people who can eat and can't eat people who are taor and people who are tamay that over there he is exempt from the violation so that's why it mentions that he's chayav when the people that he slaughters for are exclusively incapable and in other words if everybody on the list is incapable of eating from the Korban Pesach it will be invalid and he violated Shabbat from slaughtering the Korban Pesach. But if some of the people on the list are okay, then he's alright. So, but that's also obvious because since it's a kosher Korban, so he should be, uh, he should of course be, um, uh, you know, not be held liable for the Chilul uh, Shabbat. It's not Chilul Shabbat. This Korban was good. Maybe the reason is that since it mentioned that if the person slaughters the Korban Pesach for the wrong intention, he doesn't have intention for the Korban Pesach, he has intention for some other Korban, and it was Shabbat, and it says that therefore, since the Korban is Pasul, he's going to be liable for violating Shabbat. So It also mentions the case where he slaughters the Korban Pesach for people who cannot eat it, and therefore it's just as invalid. 
But again, why do I, in other words, you're telling me that many of these cases are coming along, mentioning the case of slaughtering the Korban Pesach for people who can't eat it is being mentioned because of the case where he slaughters the Korban Pesach for the wrong intention, which makes it possible. But that also should be obvious because of why do I need to know that case? It's also obvious that since the Quran Pesach is pasul when you have the wrong intention and, um, and you did it on Shabbat, you're liable. So Mishum the Kabbalah Fluge, Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Yoshua. The reason is because the Mishnah wanted to bring the case of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. That's really what the Gemara is saying is the centerpiece of the Mishnah. Everything else was there, which really emerges obviously from the basic rule that if the Korban Pesach is Pasul, then the, uh, the person who brought it on Shabbat will be liable. And if the Korban Pesach is Kasher, then the person who brought it on Pesach would not be liable, would, brought it on Shabbat would not be liable. But th- this is all a, uh, a frame to discuss the machloket between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua about a person who slaughtered a different korban, l'shem korban Pesach. Do we say that since they did, uh, since the korban they brought obviously is not a korban Pesach and they slaughtered it, they should be liable for the Chilul Shabbat. That's Rabbi Eliezer. According to Rabbi Yoshua, since they had in mind for korban Pesach and at the end of the day, the korban that they brought would be considered a korban. It just would be considered a korban that shouldn't have been brought on Shabbat. Therefore, uh, we would say that the um, that he's not liable for the Chilul Shabbat in that case. So, when you go in front of Rabbi Zerika, please ask him the following question. According to the one who says that one who makes a kilkul, one who makes a damage by wounding is exempt. The question is this, that in Hilchot Shabbat in general, we have a rule that kola mekalkelin piturin. Anybody who, who ruins in doing a mlacha is patur, he's, he's exempt. You're only liable for doing a mlacha on Shabbat if the mlacha that you did is constructive, produces something of value. But if what you did is a kilkul, is a ruining, so then you didn't do anything. So the question is over here, and we say there is an opinion that says mekalkel b'chaburah chayav. That there are exceptions to the rule. That if a person uh, inflicts a wound, even though that's considered damaging, because the Torah recognized that as a melacha and it's by definition damaging, that means that in that case the Torah is making an exception and it doesn't have to be constructive. But but according to the view that causing a wound also has to have some constructive value. Like you want the blood that comes out or something like that. So then what is the value here if the person slaughters a korban pesach it's pasul, what good is coming out of it that we should say that he is going to be liable for chilul shabbat? It's like flipping the question around. Okay, we understand that he shouldn't have brought this, this pasul korban on, on shabbat uh, or at all. But... Certainly not on Shabbat, but why is it a Chilul Shabbat since it doesn't actually produce anything positive that he did this Korban? So it says, What did it, what did he fix? Meaning, what did he accomplish? The Tikkun is, what he accomplished was that if the, um, and this is a list of questions, Rav Barchenina is telling his son to ask Rabbi Zerika with an anticipation of all the different possible answers, right? So he says, you'll say that the answer is that if they put this korban, in other words, the person slaughtered the korban, let's say he slaughtered it for people who can't actually eat it. Okay, so it's pasu. But if they put it up on the Mizbeach, they wouldn't take it down. So really it created a korban that if it were placed on the Mizbeach, would be acceptable. Bidiavad, we wouldn't take it down. So since that's the uh, since that's the case, we don't look at it as a uh, we don't look at it as a um, uh, as a total loss. 
So, but then, we also said that if the person slaughters the Korban Pesach and then he discovers that there was a mum that he didn't check for, he's going to be liable for Chilul Shabbat. But Matzikein, what did he accomplish? Again, we have the same questions. Uh, slaughtering a Balmum uh, creates nothing of value. So why is it a Chilul Shabbat? So it says, Tiken Bidokit Shabbat. The answer is that the film, there are certain mumin in an animal that don't apply to a bird. Such very nuanced ones, like the film over the eye. Dokin Shabbat. Because according to Rabbi Akiva, any mum that an animal, if a bal mum, if an animal that is a clearly a defective animal is put up on the mizbech, you take it down. However, according to Rabbi Akiva, if the mum, if the defect is one that is so new, that is so subtle, like an eye film or whatever it is, that is so subtle that an, an, a bird would not be considered an invalid korban as a result of that mum, then we, then if it's put up on the mizbech, we don't take it down. Any other obvious mum, we take it down. But a mum that could, would have been kasher for a bird because it's very subtle, there we don't take it down. That's what, uh, that, so therefore, there's a value to that type of an animal, the, uh, uh, the, um, even with that move. So, Shechatov we said that if the person slaughters the Koban and finds out it's a trefa inside, it's going to be, his patur is exempt. Why? Because he couldn't have known that it was a, a trefa until he opened it up. Right, But that means that if he knew it was a trefa, it was obviously a trefa. It was mis- you know, it was, it was somehow clearly a trefa. He knew about it. So then, um, the fact that he slaughtered it on Pesach, on, on uh, sorry, on Erev Pesach, which was Shabbat, what what positive thing comes out of that? That we're going to hold him liable for that? Matike. It says tike and You might say that it's nothing to slaughter a trefa, but it's not nothing. Because at least that meat will not have the tum'ah of nevela. It will be a trefa. You won't be allowed to eat it and certainly won't be allowed to use it as a korban. But we wouldn't call it a nevela. It won't have the tum'ah of nevela anymore. So therefore you accomplished something. So therefore it's a mlacha. So now matkif la'ravina. Ha'detanya shuchet chatat shabbat b'chutz la'avodah zorah chayav alayah gimel chataot. We learned in a brayta that if a person slaughters a korban chatat... That was supposed to obviously be brought in the Beit HaMikdash. And he does it on Shabbat, which is, you're not supposed to do. And he does it outside the Beit HaMikdash, which you're not supposed to do. And he does it for the sake of Avodah Zarah, which obviously you're not supposed to do. He is liable for three violations. Chilul Shabbat, bringing a korban outside the Beit HaMikdash, and Avodah Zarah. So Matikin, the question there is also, what do you accomplish that he should be considered a Chilul Shabbat? Chilul Shabbat means you, you created something that has value. In that case, it will, you, you can't say that it removed the Tum'ah because it will have the Tum'ah from being slaughtered for idolatry. So you didn't remove the Tum'ah Nevelah like we said before, but what you did remove was the prohibition of Ever Menachai, of limb of a, lo- a live animal. That now if a Ben Noach, Rashi says, wants to come and take from this, uh, he will be allowed to because the Shechita that you did removed Ever Menachai. So you can't say that the slaughtering had no value at all on this animal. And so therefore, the point is that there has to be some constructive value to whatever kind of, um, whatever kind of action you do on Shabbat in order for you to be liable, which is sort of ironic because we're talking about people doing things they're not supposed to do. But even, but under the framework of Hilchot Shabbat, there still has to be some positive outcome of it. Now it says like this. So now it's going to give, it's going to take us to another subject for a second in Korbanot before we come back to ours. If a person had an asham, he had a korban asham that he had to bring for whatever reason, 
and it was it, and it, it ended up going out to pasture. Either the owners died and before they had a chance to bring it, or they lost it, brought a different korban in its place, and now they found it again, and now it has no purpose. It's become obsolete. So the rule is that we put such an animal out to pasture until it develops a mum, then it is redeemed, and the money is used for korban ola. Now, what happens if instead of waiting for it to become uh, defective and redeeming it, the person just took it and slaughtered it. So the answer is, if he does it without any statement of intention, it automatically becomes a koban ola. And it, because the money that you would have taken from it when it became defective and you took and you redeemed it for money and you brought the money to the Beit HaMikdash would have been for a Korban Ola. So here too, we're going to say that if you slaughter it, automatically becomes a Korban Ola and that would be an acceptable uh, transition. So So the implication is that you don't have to explicitly say, I hereby change this from a Korban Asham to an Ola. It will automatically happen. When you slaughter, it will become an Ola. Without saying anything. If that's true, so then why do you have to wait for it to go out to pasture? Even as soon as the owners of the Asham die, or as soon as they've brought a substitute korban for it, then that leftover Asham should automatically become an Olah. It shouldn't have to first go out to pasture and then you slaughtered it and, and it becomes an Ola. But the reason is because if the person, if we didn't have that rule, so then it could easily become confused because a person would have this Korban Asham around and say, you know what? I just want to switch this Korban Asham to be an Ola. I'm going to take a different animal. He won't realize you can't do that. You can only change the Asham to an Ola if it became obsolete because of the circumstance, because the people died or that owned it originally or because the reason you needed it for was fulfilled by another Korban inadvertently. But if you, uh, you can't just decide to switch it to an Ola. So to make that clear, they said you can't, it can't be switched to an Ola unless it's gone out to pasture first. Now, uh, where do we see that? How do we see that we make such examples? That if, a, if an Asham, uh, there was an, a Korban Asham that the owners died or it was missing, so the owners brought a different Korban in its stead and then it was left over, so then it has to go to pasture until it becomes, uh, until it becomes defective. And then it can be sold and the money will go, will go to the communal Korbanot. Uh, Rabbi Eliezer Omer Yamut. Rabbi Eliezer says, no, we don't redeem it at all. We just wait until it dies. That's what you do with the Korban Chatat as well. And Rabbi Eliezer throughout the Shas maintains that Asham and Chatat are the same. That just like you leave an Asham, uh, you leave an Asham, uh, I'm sorry, you leave a Chatat to die if the owners die. You do the same thing with an Asham according to Rabbi Eliezer. You don't redeem it. Rabbi Yoshua Omer Yemachev Yavi Bidamav Ola. Rabbi Yoshua says, no, you sell it and you bring with the money, Ola. Now the difference between Rabbi Yoshua and the Tanakhama is the Tanakhama says that the money goes to the communal fund and Rabbi Yoshua says, no, the owners, if they're still alive and they just happen to have substituted the uh, original Asham with another one when it was missing, when the original was missing, they themselves bring it as a personal Korban Ola. Or if they died, then their descendants bring it itself as a, uh, with, with the money themselves, bring a Korban Ola. They don't just give the money to the community for Olot to be brought. They do it themselves. But the point is that you see from here that, uh, that they put it out, we only take the money of the animal, ideally, to bring another Korban. Aval Gufolo, we do not bring the animal itself because, because you see that we're worried that if after, even after they brought their original Korban, they have this leftover Korban and they're allowed to bring that leftover Korban now as a, an Ola because we're saying it transforms into an Ola, then they might do that even before. They might just say, you know what, I, I set this aside as an Asham, but uh, I want to bring a different animal as the Asham. I'm going to bring this as an Ola. And they might not, you're not allowed to do that because it's still fully fit for its original designation. So that would be wrong. So therefore, you see that we make a distinction between before and after the circumstance. We, we, we have zerot that you can't use the animal as it is on purpose because you might get confused 
and do that even when it isn't obsolete. It's Asham function isn't obsolete. So therefore we say that you can only do it with the money. You can only wait till after its function has become obsolete and then redeem it for money and then buy a Korban Olah with it. But the point is that you see from here that it makes sense that we wait even in the case where, uh, where the animal um, is, is taken and slaughtered uh, stum without any statement of intention and it beca- we said it becomes an olah, that's only if it was first sent out to pasture, that we're allowed to say it's kasher as an olah. But if we said that even before it went out to pasture, that would be really bad because then it would seem like you're really just actually taking the original animal and using it for a different, repurposing it, and people wouldn't realize that you're not supposed to do that. Now, what's the point? So, Rav Chista objected to this halachav Rav from our Mishnah because it says that if you slaughter the Korban Pesach and then find out that the owners have withdrawn from it, they all canceled their order. They all withdrew from that Korban Pesach. So now it was done for no owners at all. What does that mean? The Korban is pasul. And we said, if Erev Pesach is on a weekday and that happens, so now you basically slaughtered a Korban Pesach for no owners at all. It's Pasul, you burned it right away. So, if you say that you actually have to explicitly change the designation of the Korban and say, I hereby slaughter this for the sake of something else. And uh, so then, high pesachu. So then, that that makes sense because this pesach that was slaughtered and the and the the owners had withdrawn themselves from it was slaughtered as a pesach. And the kevan delit lebalim. And since there are no owners, And that's an intrinsic invalidation in the korban pesach that it had no owners and therefore it becomes it has to be burnt immediately. But if you're telling me that you don't have to say anything, that when a korban when a korban's function is obsolete, it automatically changes to a different korban. So the asham automatically changes to an olah. And here we would also say that the pesach from the moment that the owners withdrew their support from that pesach, it should automatically become a korban shlamim. So even though the guy who was slaughtering it didn't realize that it had reverted to be a shlamim because the owners withdrew their um, uh, their uh, you know ownership of it, so psulom mishumai. So then, what is the psul here? What is the invalidation here? For if it became a shlamim automatically, it should become a shlamim automatically. So mishum The only reason why it's psul is because you slaughtered it at a time that you're not allowed to. You slaughtered it after the korban tamid of the afternoon, because that's when the korban pesach is normally slaughtered. Now, for the korban pesach, that's correct, but for any other korban, that's invalid. So ibur you really have to leave it over to the next morning before you burn it. Because the rule is in general that whenever you have a korban that's intrinsically pasul, that there's something defective about the korban itself, you burn it right away if you can. But anything that's de- that is defective because of an extraneous reason, something went wrong with the blood, or something, uh, or something uh, uh, went wrong with the uh, with the owners, like in this case. So it should just, or the owners died in the case of let's say a korban chatat or something like that. So then you have to leave it over to the next day in order to. Um, in order to uh, burn it. So the point is that here, if you're saying, Rav Chista is saying to Rav if you're saying that an Asham automatically becomes an Ola when it becomes obsolete and you put it out to pasture, and you don't have to say anything about that, it automatically becomes an, an Ola. So, so too here we should say by the Korban Pesach that it automatically, when the, when the owners withdrew their support, it became a Shlamim, because that's what happens to a Korban Pesach that becomes obsolete, it becomes a Shlamim. And if that's the case, then what did the person really do? They really slaughtered a Shlamim, they just slaughtered it at a time of day that it became invalid, which is too late in the afternoon. 
Um, because at the time the Korban Pesach is being brought, really nothing else is allowed to be brought. And that's the defect. So then you, why would it say you burn that immediately? There's nothing intrinsically wrong with the Korban. You should wait till the next day to burn it or really till after the Yom Tov to burn it. Right? We can't say that slaughtering something without specifically redesignating it is kasher. The only thing that you could say is that that Asham that went out to pasture, if you slaughter it for the sake of an Ola, it would be kasher. Even though you're not really supposed to do that, you're supposed to wait till it gets a defect, take the money and buy Ola and Ola with it. If you slaughtered it, Ola, it would be kasher. The point is, Alma Akira, which means that we're saying that you need to explicitly redesignate. And that explains the case of the Pesach. Since in the case of the Pesach, the person slaughtered it, Lishem Pesach, he didn't say anything, but he slaughtered it, and the owners had withdrawn their support. So it didn't automatically become a Shlamim. It was a Korban Pesach Pasul, and that's why right away we would burn it if Erev Pesach fell on a weekday. If the, you don't need to explicitly, re, uh, that means that you need to explicitly redesignate it as a Shlamim if it's going to be a Shlamim. So, uh, you, and you would also have to explicitly redesignate the Hasham as an Ola if you want it to be an Ola. So, uh, but then that, the question is, but according to what we learned from Rabbi Chia Bargamda, who said it was stated by the group, by the, by the group of scholars in Chachamim, they said, you know when this is true, this halacha? Only when the reason why the owners withdrew from the Korban was because they were all Tmeim. Right or they were tmei metim, and therefore they were uh, they were going to be pushed off to Pesach sheni. It's not that they were going to not use this korban as a korban Pesach. They just wanted to use it for the next Pesach for Pesach sheni. That's why you need to uproot the status of the korban from being a Pesach, because really it would have been a Pesach a month later, right on Pesach sheni. But in general, you don't have to do such a thing. So according to that, what's clearly being said by Rabbi Chia Bar Gamda is that the rabbis understood that when this korban has a reason to stay a Pesach, because the owners only withdrew from using it right now, because they're now Tme'im and they have to wait a month to Pesach Sheni, that's why it retains its status as Pesach. And by slaughtering it, it's going to retain its status as Pesach. But actually the implication is that if you didn't, uh, have that situation. If the, if the owners just re- withdrew from that Pesach because they wanted to be on a different one or for whatever other reason, then actually it does automatically revert to be a Koban Shlamim according to that. And then we're back to the drawing board of why if it reverted to be a Koban Shlamim, is it say to burn it right away, right? We wouldn't say to burn it right away in a case like that. In a case where, uh, we, the only case we're saying to burn it right away is where it was offered as a Pesach because the owners of it were just metim. They weren't actually, they didn't actually want it to not be a Pesach. So, so it says that the, the issue is something else. That, that the issue is that, uh, that it was separated. This Korban Pesach was separated before Chatzot and the owners died after Chatzot. In, in other words, this Korban Pesach could have been used by the, by the owners as a Korban Pesach because they were actually alive still at the time that the Korban Pesach would have been offered. And therefore, since at that time they, uh, they had the ability to use it as a Korban Pesach and it became possible for them to use it because it was the time where the Korban Pesach would be offered. But then at that moment, Nidchat became pushed off. Once a thing is, is uh, at one time, 
became worthy of being used for the mitzvah and then became rejected. So that never happens. It never has that opportunity again. Meaning to say that what's the reason why automatically this korban doesn't switch to being a korban shlamim? It's because it had the possibility and the actuality of being a korban pesach. And because at the time that, it, that the mitzvah of korban pesach came, it was, uh, the owners were still alive. So since it had the possibility of being that and then became ruined because they died, so that is something where it can't now revert to be a shlami. But if there was never, if, the, if those owners had died prior to the afternoon so that it, they never actually had the opportunity to use it as a Koban Pesach, then it would have automatically reverted to be a shlami. But the problem is, we're looking for an explanation of Rav Zalacha. And we know that Rav said, that Balei Chaim, living things, cannot be pushed off. In other words, a statement they, they, that the, uh, we're, we're still involved in trying to figure out in uh, Rav's statement about the Asham, that Rav had said that automatically uh, when you slaughter the Korban Asham that was put out to pasture, it becomes an Ola, meaning to say that you don't have to explicitly remove the status from the uh, uh, from the uh, from the animal, and then we said we, but then we saw that here you see that when it comes to the korban pesach, uh, it seems like you do have to explicitly remove the status from the animal because um, if you just slaughter it without saying anything, we're saying that it becomes a korban pasul if there was no owners, which means to say that automatically it didn't become a shlamim just by virtue of the fact that there were no owners, and so then the so that would seem to suggest that no, you have to have intent to repurpose the korban in order for it to um in order for it to take on a new status. And if you just do it the way that it is, it's going to be what it is already, which is a Korban Pesach. So then the Gemara objected and said that no, uh, we said that that case is only where the owners were Tme'emetim, meaning where there was a specific reason to keep it as a Korban Pesach. Otherwise, it would have automatically reverted to being a, uh, to being a Korban Shlamim because the owners don't want it for a Korban Pesach anymore. And they don't have a reason, a vested interest in it. So that's why you would have to. And right now, though, we're operating with the idea that Rav is saying that you, don't, that you do need to uproot the status of the animal. So why would you need to uproot the status of the animal? Why would it be, uh, why would it not automatically uh, be, a, uh, be considered a, uh, a uh, Korban Pesach? So it says, well, we're talking, so we suggested that maybe the reason why here is because the Balei Chaim, because the, because the animal uh, had the opportunity to be used as a Korban Pesach. And since it had the opportunity to be used as a Korban Pesach by those owners, then it, can never be ch- it cannot be changed. It will never automatically be changed back to its original uh, status. And so, um, like Rashi explains here, he says, um, oh, right, and Rav says elsewhere, not here, that uh, that doesn't work with animals, that just because an animal had the possibility of being able and was still alive to be used for, a diff- for, for the original purpose doesn't mean it can't be repurposed actu- after that, right? So now Rashi explains this flow of the Gemara here, that now we're going back. We're going back. We're going back to the idea that Rav says that uh, if you slaughter something with no intent at all, you slaughtered the Asham with no intent to change it to an Ola, automatically it will become an Ola, right? Because the only reason why the Korban Pesach that is slaughtered is uh, doesn't automatically become a Shlamim is because we were talking about a case where the uh, uh, he says Rashi says he automatically 
להקדים בכמה שלמים. ואחת דקתן יסרב מיד למה שמכירה, אלא כגון שפרי שוקו למחצות. We're saying that the reason why in the case of, uh, the case above, about the Korban Pesach, they said to burn it immediately, was because in that case, it became worthy of being used as a Korban Pesach in actuality, and then it wasn't used because the owners died. That was the reason. But that won't work for Rav. That won't work as an explanation for Rav. So now we have a problem, because now we're saying again that Rav holds that automatically if you slaughter an asham that was put out to pasture, it becomes an olah. But there's a case here very clearly where you slaughter a korban pesach, and which should have automatically reverted to be a shlamim. And we see that it doesn't automatically revert to Biyashlamim. So how is he going to explain that? He can't say that the reason there is because the animal had the opportunity to be a Korban Pesach. Because he doesn't hold that animal that has an opportunity to be used for a mitzvah and then gets pushed off. It cannot be redeemed or cannot be rehabilitated. That must be Rabbi Eliezer. The answer is that... It's like Rabbi Eliezer, because Rabbi Eliezer says that any other korban that you offer for the sake of a Pesach um, would, is, is pasul as well, because it's an intrinsic invalidation. So the meaning, meaning like this, that why above did it say that if the person brought the korban Pesach and the owners had already died, is it so invalid, it's so intrinsically invalid that it has to be burnt? Because really that korban Pesach automatically, when the owners died, became a shlamim. And that guy then offered it L'Shem Pesach. And according to Rabbi Eliezer, if you offer something L'Shem Pesach, it's not supposed to be. It's totally invalid. V'i Rabbi Eliezer hi chatat nami mechayev dahalet el Rabbi Eliezer b'tawah b'tawah mitzvah patur. But according to that, then according to Rabbi Eliezer, the person should also have to bring a korban chatat if they did that on, on Pesach. If they brought another korban, uh, I'm sorry, if they did that on Shabbat, right? So because, uh, because uh, he doesn't hold that uh, he doesn't hold that uh, a toeb bidvar mitzvah, a person who's trying to do a mitzvah and makes a mistake, is not liable. So, but Rav doesn't hold like that. So why would he hold like Rabbi Eliezer about this? So, Ella, Tirgama Rav Yosef, Raydu Rav Salah Chassida, Kamedu Rav Papa, Hamani Yosef ben Chonai. Really, this is following the opinion of Rabbi Yosef, Rav Yosef, uh, of Yosef ben Chonai. It's not as we learned in a Mishnah. Right? Yosef ben Chonai Omer, Hanishchatim l'shem Pesach, l'shem Chatat Psulim. He holds like Rabbi Eliezer as well. Alma Psulo b'gufo. He, that really this Korban Pesach would automatically revert to be a Shlamim from the moment that the owners died. The only thing is that, um, or, that it's a, it, it, since it was offered L'Shem Pesach, that makes it worse. Omishum hachi yesaref miyat. That, and because of that, it has to be burnt right away. But but when it comes to Hilchot Shabbat, he holds like Rabbi Yoshua, that since at the end of the day, this Korban was offered and it was a, it was a mistake about a mitzvah, so therefore he's going to say that he's not liable when it comes to Hilchot Shabbat. And that will fit with our, um, you know, all of the pieces fit together now. So the point is that according to this, the, really the Korban Pesach, that the owners died, automatically became a Shlamim. But if you explicitly then say, I'm bringing it as a Pesach, you make it worse. When it comes to the asham that went out to pasture, if you don't say anything and you just slaughter it, it will automatically become a korban olah. And the same would have been true of a korban pesach that you didn't say anything and you just slaughtered it. It would have automatically become a shlamim. Even though the owners died, it would have automatically become a shlamim. Now the thing is, Rav Ashi Amar, Rav Damar, Rabbi Yochanan ben Borka. Actually, Rav is holding like Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Borka. Detanya, Rabbi Ishmael, ben Oshel, Rabbi Yochanan ben Borka. Omer, imeshur bayom leidaim, mashchu baalim et yedehem, oshemet oshenit meu chayav ut ubar tzuratov yotel bet esrefa. That if there was time in the day to find out, in other words, if the person who was slaughtering the korban pesach could have found out that the owners had withdrawn from this pesach, or that they had died, or they had become tamei, then if he slaughters it on, on Shabbat, he should be liable because he 
had the opportunity to find out. So he made a mistake. He's liable for a korban chatat. Not for he's not chayav mita, but he's, he's he's liable because he he should have checked things out. And utubar tzurato, it should be left overnight. Tubar tzurato means you leave it overnight to become notar, and then you burn it. So you see that you see from that that you don't have to uproot the status of the korban. In other words, that autom- that automatically really um, that uh, that according to this, um, automatically it would be uh, it would be considered a shlamim. And that's why I have to leave it over to the next day. In other words, if it was considered to be a korban pasul, intrinsically pasul. So then we wouldn't have to leave it over to the next day to burn it if it was slaughtered on a weekday. Okay, but since it was slaughtered, it was slaughtered um, and it was slaughtered without saying anything, it automatically became a shlamim. And a shlamim that is offered after the afternoon korban in the, on, a, on any given day was offered after the korban tamid of the afternoon is pasul, but you don't burn it. You wait till the next day because there's nothing wrong with the korban itself. It's just the timing was off. So you wait till the next day. So you see from here that what is he saying? He's saying that the person who slaughtered this korban pesach that the owners had withdrawn themselves from, it only is considered a shlamim that was offered at the wrong time. It's not considered to be a korban pesach. You see from that that automatically when those owners withdrew their support from the korban, it became a shlamim. Automatically. So, but the problem is, Mimai, how do you know that that's what Rabbi Ishmael holds? Because really, Mishum de Savala Ketana, maybe it's because Dilma Mishum de Savala Ketana Deve Rabba Baravua. Maybe he holds like the Tana of the Yeshiva Rabba Baravua, the Amara Filo Pigul Nami by Ibutsurad Yalif Avon Avon Minotar. Maybe he holds the position that all invalid korbanot, even Pigul, we learn from the case of Notar. Notar is the korban that's left past its deadline. Because there's a, there's a Gzera Shava of Avon Avon. The word Avon appears with Pigul, with Korbanot that are slaughtered with the wrong intention. Intention to eat or complete the service at the wrong time or in the wrong place. Pigul. And Notar is the Korban that's left over past its designated time. These two are linked. And just like Notar, you leave it over to, the, by definition, it is have, it's already been left past its deadline when we burn it. So too with all other psulim, we say that if it's left, that it has to be left past its deadline. We can never, according to this Tana, never burn a korban that's within its deadline, even if that korban is pasul. So maybe Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka, holds like that. And maybe that's why he says that if you slaughter the korban Pesach that has no owners, it become, it has to be left to the next day before you burn it. Maybe because he holds it in general, you have to leave things to the next day till they're burned. And it has nothing to do with whether it became a shlamim or not. And in fact, if you don't say that, what about the case of the balim becoming tamay? In the case of the balim becoming tamay, like we saw, so that's a case where for sure we said, that it will retain its status as a Korban Pesach no matter what. Because since the Balim became Tameh, the owners became Tameh, that means that they probably want this Korban Pesach to stay a Korban Pesach until the next, until a month later so they can bring it on Pesach Sheni. We're not going to say in that case that they are, uh, that, that the Korban Pesach is, loses its status and becomes a Shlamim right away. On the contrary, it should really stay a Korban Pesach. And yet you see that even though it stays as a Korban Pesach and now it's an invalid Korban Pesach, we still say, leave it over to the next morning before you burn it. Because in that case, what did we say? That definitely requires, if you wanted to repurpose a Korban Pesach, where the owners became Tameh, 
and really they would want to keep it for Pesach Shini, but now they want to make it a Shlamim, they have to explicitly say it in that case according to everyone. Because we said that in a case where the Baalim, the owners are Tmeimit, they are impure from contact with the dead and therefore they have to wait till the next uh, opportunity to bring Korban Pesach, that's the case where it will not revert to be a Shlamim automatically. According to everybody, that's the case. It would retain its status as a Korban Pesach until a person said otherwise. So therefore, Rather, we go back to our original statement that the halacha that was mentioned above that said that if a Korban Pesach was slaughtered, that was slaughtered for the sake of, the, of Korban Pesach, but it was slaughtered where the owners had already died or withdrawn themselves from the Korban, that's considered an intrinsically Pasul Korban, not because it didn't revert to be a Shlamim. On the contrary, because it did revert to be a Shlamim. It reverted to be a Shlamim, and yet it was offered as a Korban Pesach, which according to some Tanaim, including Yosef ben Chonai, automatically makes it Pasul, and therefore has to be left over and burned the next day, because it makes it into a Korban Pasul. Um, I'm sorry, it, 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 has to be, it doesn't have to be left over to the next day, but it's automatically Korban Pasul because not because it's a not because it didn't become a Shlamim, but because it did become a Shlamim and then was offered for Korban Pesach. In fact, if he had offered it and not said anything and it had just reverted to be a Shlamim, that would have just been a Shlamim that was Pasul and would have had to be left over till the next day to be burnt. But since he took this Korban Pesach that the owners had died or withdrawn themselves and it automatically really then reverts to be a Korban Shlamim and yet he took it and offered it Lishem Korban Pesach according to these times Naim, offering an alternative korban for the sake of a korban Pesach makes the korban automatically pasul. Even though if you had slaughtered it saying nothing, it would have been a shlamim, becomes automatically pasul and therefore burnt immediately if it's a weekday. And hadran alach eludvarim, that's the conclusion of this parak. So in, in summary, Rav holds that both an asham that is put out to pasture because it became obsolete and the korban Pesach that became obsolete would automatically become a different korban. The asham would become an olah. The Korban Pesach would become a Shlamim. And the way that he would explain the cases where, so meaning you don't have to say anything to repurpose them, but in a situation where either the uh, owners are still alive but were Tamei and we're planning on using that Korban Pesach for the following opportunity at Pesach Sheni, there you would need an explicit statement to change it to be a Shlamim. And in a situation, according to Samtanaim, where you, where it automatically did revert to be a Shlamim, but you nonetheless brought it as a Korban Pesach, that would be even worse than bringing it without saying anything at all. So Bezrat Hashem, we will begin tomorrow with the seventh Perak Ketzat talking more about the Korban Pesach and the preparation of the meat.